Hi guys, welcome back. If it's your first time here, then thank you for joining us. This is the Doula's Guide to Preparing for Your Birth with me, Meg, also known as the Dungaree Doula. It's a podcast where we talk about all things pregnancy, birth and parenting. My aim is to share unbiased information alongside a bit of friendly trick chat to ensure that you head into parenthood feeling confident and excited for what's to come. If you're new to the podcast and would like to know more about me, then go and check out the very first episode for a little introduction and a big chat on hypnobirthing and the following episodes for some great birth and parenting preparation. If you love the podcast, you can now leave me a little tip to say thank you via buy me a coffee. The link is in the show notes. A huge thank you in advance if you choose to do this. The podcast is something that I research, write, record and edit completely alone and I'm completely unpaid for. I actually have to pay to host it. (laughs) So the tips that come in from those of you who have found it useful are truly, truly appreciated. Before we begin, I also want to remind you that I now have two pre-recorded online birth preparation courses. The first is a full antenatal education and hypnobirthing course that you can sign up to and start working through right away and in your own time. There are over 30 modules to work through, each made up of video content with PDF downloads, hypnobirthing MP3 tracks, relaxation tracks, journaling prompts, birth plan templates, birth partner checklists and so, so much more. It's only £37, which is an absolute steal, but to celebrate the launch of season two of the podcast, you can use the code podcast for 20% off. Just click the link in the show notes or head to my website, which is thedungaredoula.co.uk and head to the online course page. Whilst you're over there, you'll see the even newer Hypnobirthing Essentials course, which as it sounds is a condensed version, still pre-recorded, but for you who maybe are at the end of your pregnancies so don't have as much time to work through a full course, those of you who have already done some antenatal education but want hypnobirthing on top, maybe those of you who are pregnant for a second, third, subsequent time and just want a refresher or maybe you just want a cheaper option. If any of those sound like you then head to the same place and check out the hypnobirthing essentials course which is just £20 so again really great value. Also comes with the hypnobirthing mp3s, the video content, pdf downloads and lots of extras too. I hope you love it. Go and treat yourself if you're expecting a baby in 2024. So let's get into it. Today I thought we would chat about newborn baby sleep Um, and this is a big topic with so much conflicting advice and I feel like I need to add a disclaimer here, get it out here right at the beginning that I am not a baby sleep consultant or anything like that um mainly because I don't want to be I I kind of I find the whole baby sleep industry a little bit sketchy um I saw recently that the infant sleep industry in the US alone so this is not relevant to the UK but I assume you know in the UK it's also really high but the infant sleep industry in America is worth more than 325 million dollars a year like that's insane <laughs> i know there are some absolutely wonderful baby sleep experts out there and um, spreading the good word about normal infant behavior supporting yourself to support your baby and stuff like that which you know we're going to talk about today but ultimately that whole world is just not for me you know trying to sell you stuff to get your baby to sleep and stuff like that Um, So if you're listening to this podcast expecting my top tips for getting your newborn baby to sleep independently or to sleep for a set amount of hours, gentle ways to cry it out, which I believe exists, (laughs) then this is not the podcast for you. And if you want those things, I totally get it. I have been there as a parent, absolutely desperate for a good night's sleep myself. Like I kind of still am (laughs) more often than not. My almost three-year-old still wakes up in the night, almost every night, comes and gets in bed with us, gets out of bed with us, doesn't know what she wants, is up and down. But I'm a realist 
and I'm also an attachment parent through and through. So my approach to baby sleep is very holistic and very grounded in what is biologically normal and not doing anything to break that attachment or focus on independence or anything like that. So I'm just getting that out there now. No be for all if you want to tune out right now because <laughs> this won't be for everybody and you know, no shame if it's not for you. But this podcast is going to be my approach to baby sleep and my top tips for supporting your baby to get the best sleep they can. So it's a mix of research and evidence-based facts as per usual. But there's a lot of opinion in this one too because, you know, it's my podcast. (laughs) I fancied a chat. So here we go. We're going to start by chatting about how it is biologically normal for newborn babies to frequently wake through the night. Totally normal and actually a safety measure. So researchers have concluded that frequent night waking is actually a safety mechanism against SIDS, sudden infant death syndrome, which I know is a horrible thing to start the podcast talking about. I will just only mention it now. It's not going to be like a recurrent theme, but I always think it's a good way to put things into perspective. Your baby waking multiple times during an evening is a very normal part of having a baby. It's not them being naughty or a bad baby or, you know, trying to get one over on you or manipulate you into caring for them, as some people like to say, which actually drives me mad because babies shouldn't have to manipulate you into caring for them 24-7. That's literally what you sign up to do when you get pregnant. Like the minute you get pregnant and you choose to continue the pregnancy and have that baby, you choose to care for a baby. (laughs) They shouldn't have to manipulate you into that. So they're just being a normal baby. And yeah, researchers have suggested that waking from sleep may be essential for regulation of breathing in babies and that difficulty with waking up may place infants at a higher risk for SIDS. So it's actually, you know, incredibly important. Babies, newborn babies also do not have a circadian rhythm like we do. So like the physical, mental and behavioural changes that we go through in a 24-hour cycle, they don't have that they don't know the difference between day and night so they don't know that we have these like weird human being rules that you've got to go about your day working and socializing and playing and eating and then spend your nights asleep they didn't get that memo whilst they were in the womb so we're putting these unrealistic expectations on them thinking that they will you know nap in the daytime play in the daytime feed in the daytime then go to sleep at 7 p.m and wake up at 7 p.m that's that's not a thing for newborn babies And babies do go on to develop like a semblance of a circadian rhythm somewhere between 8 to 11 weeks. So they start to release melatonin in the evenings, which is the darkness hormone, which makes us drowsy. They develop a body temperature rhythm around this stage too. But that does not mean that all of a sudden they start sleeping through the night at that time because of it. Like a very, very tiny minority of babies will sleep through the night at this age but it's really uncommon. It just means that they start to sort of semi-understand the difference between day and night, which can help a little bit with sleep for some babies. So because of this and lots of other factors that I've touched on, I follow an attachment parenting style and that lends itself to the way I approach baby sleep and the way I've supported my babies to sleep and supported clients to support their babies to sleep. So again, this might not be right for you, but I thought it would make a nice little episode for those who are interested in this topic and those who have yet to have their babies and have no idea what to expect. This is one route you can take. And in my opinion, it's the easiest route because I feel like once you surrender to the fact that your sleep is gonna be a bit fucked up for a while and it's just in the best interests of your baby, you can stop fighting it 
and you just let it be. You stop viewing it as something that needs to be fixed and it makes it easier to deal with. You're still probably going to have days where you feel absolutely knackered and touched out because that's unfortunately normal for us in the Western world. We don't put enough emphasis on caring for new mums and new parents in the postpartum period. If we lived in a different part of the world or we lived in the past, then we'd all know that baby sleep is a bit tricky to navigate. So we'd have a huge community. We'd have a village around us supporting us so that we can deal with it better. And they'd bring us nutritious, nourishing, hearty meals and they'd clean up for us and they'd help out with other children. They'd ensure we didn't have to lift a finger and could solely focus on breastfeeding and resting. And if that was the case, the frequent night waking wouldn't feel so bad at all. But in the West, we have this weird obsession with bouncing back and the village for a lot of us is gone because, you know, our family and friends are busy working or they have other commitments in their busy, busy lives. So they're not all rallying around us, you know, rallying around the new mum in society. And that is a topic for another day, really, a slight tangent there. But I do feel it's entirely relevant to how we parent and how things are more difficult for us than they should be or were intended to be. Babies are born perfectly and we have everything we need to nourish them but we need nourishing too so back to the point (laughs) back to the point which was when you surrender to the fact that you've just had a baby they're going to need you multiple times throughout the night because it's normal and it keeps them safe is easier to deal with you can rationalize that your baby isn't broken or trying to torture you and you can put protocols in place to make things easier for yourself So not making lots of plans, for example, not trying to host people, getting the help you need from those who can provide it in those first few weeks and months so that your sole focus is on feeding your baby and supporting their sleep and you resting. So you might, you know, set up a meal train with your closest friends. You might hire a postpartum doula. You might hire, um, set up a meal delivery service, whatever it is that's going to enable you to just rest as much as possible that you can meet your baby's needs through the night is going to be one of the best things you invest your time and your money into during your pregnancy, birth and postpartum experience. Um, There's a good BBC article that I came across whilst looking for a statistic I wanted for this podcast, which said something that I wanted to share here. It says, studies suggest that a baby-led approach has a number of advantages over a strict parent-imposed schedule or routine. Researchers found, for example, that the more parents controlled their baby's feeds, the more likely the child gained either too much or too little weight. It can also affect breastfeeding. Feeding responsibly is key for establishing a milk supply. Scheduling feeds is also linked to stopping breastfeeding earlier, and mothers who read books promoting strict sleep and feeding routines were less likely to breastfeed at all. So if you are breastfeeding especially, a responsive approach is key. And again, slightly off topic, but massively, massively interlinked. There's lots more about this in two of my other podcast episodes. So definitely check those out if you're wanting to establish breastfeeding. One is called Preparing to Breastfeed. And that's just a solo episode. And one is The Early Days of Breastfeeding with B from B's Birth and Boobs. They're both um, incredibly helpful for knowing what to expect from babies in those early days. Um, The article then went on to state parent-led routines are linked to higher levels of reported anxiety among mothers. So basically what that's saying is if you're trying to impose this routine on your newborn baby, then those mums have higher levels of anxiety 
Whereas, you know, the parents who are child-led have less. So basically, you know, just let it go. Go with the flow, ride it out. Follow your baby's needs, meet their needs and just surrender to it. Ask for help when you need it. Like seriously, just ask. Set up like a little WhatsApp group of people that you love and after a tiring night, drop a message and just say, can anyone drop some food off today? Can anyone come and drop, grab my toddler for a nap? Can anyone come and baby wear my baby whilst I go and have a nap? Set up that support for yourself. And one last thing I want to mention before we get into how I support my babies to sleep um, as newborns and basically for their entire life so far is another way to reframe how we think about baby sleep. We're constantly hearing chat about babies needing to learn to self-soothe, things like that. But actually, how many adults do you know who can perfectly self-soothe? So for example, I can only sleep with one thin pillow under my head. We were away for a funeral this week and we had to stay in a hotel because we went um, down to the Midlands for it. And the pillow in the hotel, it was a lovely, lovely hotel. It was so nice. But the pillow were massive and I genuinely like could not sleep because I need a pillow, but it needs to be thin. This pillow was massive. I had such a bad night's sleep. So I can sleep with one pillow under my head, but I also like to have one under my legs like a little princess and I really really need to have my partner next to me otherwise I sleep like shit and I wake up and it takes me ages to get to sleep he was snowboarding last week and I slept absolutely terribly every single night but if all of my needs are perfectly met so I'm in my own bed with my own pillow with an extra pillow under my legs with my partner next to me I sleep like a log genuinely sleep like I am dead and can sleep through fire alarms have no trouble sleeping at all as long as yeah Benji's next to me and I have my two pillows that is not self-soothing I'm being soothed by my environment I also need it to be pitch black absolutely pitch black whereas my eldest she has to have a night light and quite a bright one she simply cannot sleep in the dark we all have things that comfort us and help us to sleep imagine if someone said to me Imagine if Ben, my partner, said to me, I know it really helps you when I sleep next to you, but actually I'm going to take your pillows away and I'm going to sleep in another room because I think you need to gain some independence. Like, that would be virgin on abuse. <laughs> so why are we doing this to babies? Why are we doing this to babies? Why, why should it be any different? Why should newborns who have literally just come out of a cosy, warm room be any different? Why are people depriving them of comfort putting them out down in a cold cot by themselves, leaving them to cry, thinking that somehow that will build resilience and help them learn to do this mystical self-soothing thing that most adults can't even do. Most adults also wake up in the night. We often just don't remember it because we know how to meet our own needs quickly. So we can quickly adjust. For example, we can adjust our position or take a sip of water or pull our quilt up higher and really quickly fall back to sleep. Babies can't do this. They can't meet that need of, you know, taking a sip of water or pulling up their blanket or whatever it is. So they wake up more fully and for longer until you come and support them. And I feel like I'm really hammering the point home here. But my heart really does break for babies who have these unrealistic expectations put on them. And sorry if that seems dramatic. I know a lot of people who turn to sleep training go that way as a very, a very last resort. And I know that I'm also supposed to say unbiased on this podcast in the interest of being, you know, a professional doula or whatever. But it's the one episode where I do find it really hard to be on board with the decision 
to leave a baby to cry on their own because it must be so frightening and unsettling for them and I know that there are different levels you know somewhere people stay with their babies but just don't pick them up somewhere they only leave them for a minute and then go back or whatever it is but it's not for me at all it's absolutely not for me um I think you know the best thing we can do is to stay responsive to our children's needs and that's not to say you know if your baby's crying for a minute and you're really overwhelmed and you need to just take yourself downstairs and get a drink and then come back to them that I think you're an abusive mum or anything like that I don't we've all been there I'm not saying I've never left my baby to cry for a minute or two while I step out the room and take a deep breath because I have I've absolutely had to leave my children on a couple of occasions where I'm very touched out I'm very frazzled I'm very tired I need to just step away for a moment take some deep breaths have a sip of water and then go back like that's fine I'm talking about you know doing this repeatedly to try and get your baby to be independent that's where I can't really wrap my head around it and you'll see you know dodgy research floating around stating that it works but when you actually deep dive into this research you'll see there's no solid evidence to suggest that sleep training works but lots of evidence to state the risks or the downside so one example which i'll leave in the show notes is one review of 20 years worth of relevant studies and it states these strategies have not been shown to decrease infant crying prevent sleep and behavioral problems in childhood or protect against postnatal depression and that these strategies risk unintended outcomes including increased crying an early stop to breastfeeding worsened maternal anxiety and if the infant is required to sleep either day or night in a separate room an increased risk of SIDS. So there is a lot of research which basically just tells us that it does nothing but change how the parents perceive their babies to be sleeping. That is it. So I'm not a fan of sleep training. It's not for me but here's what I am a fan of doing. Here are in my opinion the most important things that you can do to support your baby's sleep based on everything I know about attachment parenting and its long-lasting impact on infants and everything I know about the womb-to-world transition for babies and postpartum and parenting which is a lot not to toot my own horn too much (laughs) but I'm incredibly well-read well-educated and well-researched on these topics because I'm hugely hugely passionate about it Um, and I can also bring lived experience into this too from my own children who were hugely different in the way that they slept and also you know my clients that I've supported who have had babies who have again all been really different so my two children just for a little bit of context were completely different like I said my first baby was what we would call in brackets a good sleeper she from being born most nights slept three hour stretches I would feed her she would sleep most nights in her little next to me crib so one of those I think they're still called co-sleepers but it's not like co-sleeping when they're in the bed they're those ones that are attached to your bed she slept in that for three hours and then she would wake up and then she would oh no she slept in a little Moses basket at first actually but again right next to the bed for three hours then she would wake up and then she would feed for 20 minutes and then she would go back to sleep for three hours she was you know basically on a schedule not that I'd put her on she was just like that whereas like I've said I've got an almost three-year-old now who is yeah still wakes up in the night she we co-slept and she had to be touching me to sleep so she would sleep literally in my armpit 
every single night until she was one and then we started to transfer her into our own room but we still co-slept so we had a floor bed a mattress on the floor and I slept with her on that and then when she was a bit bigger maybe one and a half nearly two she would sleep on that on the floor um by herself but we would still lay with her to go to sleep and then when she woke up she would come and get in bed with us and then now that she's nearly three she goes to sleep in her own bed and she likes it like she picked it out herself she loves it she goes to sleep in that well she doesn't go to sleep by by herself that's an absolute lie she goes to sleep in that but with us still next to her we have to lay with her until she goes to sleep and then in the night she wakes up a couple of times sometimes she comes in and gets in bed with us sometimes she just comes in has some water has a cuddle and then says i want to go back to my bed but every night she's up and down and even and that's just the same well it's not the same but even with my daughter who's like nearly six i have to lay with her to get her to sleep so she she sleeps through the night she slept through the night since she was one but i have to lay with her to get her to sleep we have this long nighttime routine she has a bath does her teeth gets her dramas on brushes her hair whatever we play a couple of board games together we read some of her book and then i lay with her until she falls asleep and i still willingly do that because i want to meet her needs i want her to feel safe and i love her <laughs> it's not like a huge ordeal so based on all of that all that tumbling around in my brain here is how i recommend supporting newborns to sleep so the most important thing, I mean, obviously, this is going to be obvious after everything that I've discussed, is providing safety and security. Babies will not, for the most part, enjoy being put down in a crib. Some will, like I've just said, Isabel, my eldest, she did. It was really quite weird. You just put her down and she was, I mean, no, that's not true. It didn't just put her down and she was fine. She had to, she always had to fall asleep on me. That drowsy and awake thing. I don't actually believe that exists but maybe it does for some babies um she and I could never do put them down drowsy but awake she would always contact nap but then in an evening she would breastfeed to sleep fall asleep on me and then after like 10-20 minutes I could put her in a cot and she would stay asleep but many will not do this ever many as soon as you put them down will just wake straight up So provide them with safety and security. Think about what I've just mentioned. Think about that womb to world transition and how we can replicate that for them. So the womb to world transition is thinking about what life is like for a baby in the womb. So they're warm, they're constantly rocked, they're constantly being fed, they can hear your heartbeat at all times. Think about how you can replicate that outside of the womb. How can you keep it dark and warm and cozy? How can they make it so they can still smell you, so they can still hear your heartbeat, so that they're, you know, not hungry and things like that? So you're not molly molly coddling your baby. You're just loving and caring for a teeny tiny infant who has no idea what's going on. (laughs) And it's not instilling bad habits into your baby either. Research shows that those who grow up with secure attachments are more independent as older children and as young adults. We have this like weird thing where we think that we're creating a nation of like clingy, clingy, a nation of clingy babies, right? By meeting their needs. But actually, yeah, research has shown that if you grow up with secure attachments, your ch- their children are more independent. And this makes sense because imagine being a baby and having your needs met and never having love or attention or anything withheld from you so you know you're fed when you're hungry you're kept warm when you're cold you're hugged when you're upset as you grow up your parents are your safe 
home base and you're more likely to then go out and explore new things and talk to new people and take risks and be independent because you know regardless of the outcomes you will always have someone in your corner that you can return to that will meet you with love that will meet your needs but on the other hand if from being an infant you're left in a cold dark room to cry you're having feeds withheld because someone said you know baby shouldn't breastfeed more than once every three hours you're being maybe as you get to toddlerhood you're being forced to go to a nursery setting that you don't like and every day you get dragged in and left even though you're crying then that base isn't as safe and isn't as secure so why would you risk leaving that home base and trying anything new you're going to be clinging on for dear life begging for some comfort so again tiny little tangent but i feel like that's really important to mention here because people do say oh you know you're making a rod for your own back your baby will never grow away from you they're going to be clingy they're going to be whatever and actually research shows the opposite so safety and security always and you know as much as possible i'm not at all saying neglect your own needs i'm saying find a healthy way to ensure you feel supported to meet your baby's needs so at bedtime this may look like co-sleeping and this is a whole other episode i'm not going to get into it now co-sleeping can be done safely not illegal and not dangerous if the safe sleep safe sleep guidelines are followed if you have a baby who will not settle in their own space and co-sleeping is a wonderful alternative or of course if you just want to do it because it's biologically normal and what we've been doing since the dawn of time then that's fantastic too i leave some info on co-sleeping in the show notes but i will do a future podcast episode on this topic i know co-sleeping isn't going to be for everybody and it very much splits opinion um so you know i'm not saying everybody should co-sleep at all but i'm saying it is a wonderful option that is okay to do and for some it will be the only option like for me with juniper my youngest if i didn't co-sleep she wouldn't have slept and none of us would have slept because she would have been screaming all night so if you're not going to co-sleep then create that safety and security by using familiar items and scents in your baby's sleep space I don't mean blankets or comforters and things like that because it's not safe to have anything extra in the bed with your baby but you might use bedding which smells like mum so maybe you know you have it you have their like bedding around you or in your bed the night before they use it or something like that so it smells like you you have a little heartbeat noise machine or just something like that always always have them in the same room as you and have them as close as possible to you at least for the first six months but you know longer if you can and then next you know meeting your baby's needs during the night to just reinforce this so like i've said many people assume that attachment parenting leads to clingy kids and yeah the opposite seems to be true when babies expect us to be there when they wake they may be more inclined to go to sleep which again makes complete sense and this again is research backed you know if the baby knows that you are going to be there to meet all of their needs then it's not a scary thing to go to sleep <laughs> so to do this you know to meet the baby's needs you know you might be feeding them on demand through the night and then rocking them back to sleep or bringing them in their into bed with you things like that just making sure that they know that you're going to be there and they're reassured that you're not going to leave them um i'm not going to talk too much about it now but but it's quite harrowing actually and it's not something that you know i don't want to like, i'm not scare people but i just it's not a nice topic but 
There's research that shows what happens to babies' brains when they're left to cry out in the night. And like I said, it's really harrowing. When babies are left to cry during the night from using cry out, people think that what happens is that they learn to self-soothe and they don't. What happens is that they cry and cry and cry and their cortisol level, which is a stress hormone, rises so much that their brain just goes into shutdown. And it's not that they learn to self-soothe, they learn that no one's coming back to help them to learn that their needs are not going to be met and that's when they so they create those insecure attachments with people and that can lead to you know lifelong detriments to the way that they form relationships with people and also the way that they can regulate their nervous system as well which is really important for baby's health and lots of other things so you know being responsive to their needs may help them sleep better because they know that you're going to be there if they have anything that they need not you know they can't rationalize that (laughs) they're not magic um they're not you know you don't have the world's most intelligent baby they can't rationalize that but on a deeper inner level they know that you're going to be there um we've just spoke about it as well that womb to world transition this is a really big one for me trying to recreate that sort of womb environment so you know the world is a bright overwhelming confusing place for babies bringing it back to basics can really help calm your baby for sleep so in the run-up to bedtime introduce skin to skin for that reconnection try and really under stimulate them as most as, as much as possible so skin to skin is the most wonderful tool most wonderful parenting tool it's so soothing for baby it calms their nervous system it regulates their breathing it regulates their body temperature it makes them feel safe So in the run-up to bedtime, you know, give them a bath, do some skin to skin before you get them into their night clothes. And then again, other things you might want to try is like white noise to replicate, you know, that whooshing sound that they hear constantly from the amniotic fluid and from the moving around. Maybe using sleeping bags to replicate being tightly held, things like that. So, you know, it's a great idea to do, do those things. And then, you know, two more little things. Well, a couple more little things. Um, And the next one's super, super obvious. But when you're in the thick of it with a fractious baby, it can be easy to forget. So if you are trying to put your baby to sleep and you're like, oh my God, like, why aren't you sleeping? You must be so tired. It's always worth just double checking that there's not something obvious that you've missed. So double checking, does your baby have a clean nappy? Does your baby have a clean have a clean tummy? Have a full tummy? Has your baby got any wind? Is your baby warm or cool enough? Is your baby in any pain any pain? Like are they teething or have you, you know, not put an item of clothing on them correctly so it's uncomfortable or something like that? Like just making sure that your baby is super, super comfortable. Which again, like I said, it sounds really obvious, but I know so many times, like I remember, especially as a first time mum, so many times like thinking, I fed you, why aren't you going to sleep? We've had skin to skin and then being like, I haven't changed your nappy. That's what it is. And just not thinking about it and just sort of struggling through for ages, being like rocking my baby and being like, why aren't you going to sleep? Why aren't you going to sleep? Like I've done all the things, but actually I hadn't done all the things they needed a nappy change or I thought I'd done all the things but yeah I'd put on an item of clothing a bit awkwardly or something stupid like that so having a little checklist that you go through can be super super helpful if baby is fractious and again if in doubt 
skin to skin. One of the other things is getting enough sleep in the daytime. So again, I always think like, I cover this in the breastfeeding topic, but I always think that, you know, with a newborn, if they're awake, they're usually waking up to feed. And then after they've fed, they might be awake for a really short amount of time and then go back to sleep. People think, you know, you have to be stimulating baby's brain and that's really good for them. And, you know, they're sticking on those black and white baby TV shows and things like that. And your baby doesn't need that. They just need to make, you need to make sure they're getting enough sleep. And this will really vary from baby to baby. So there are set um, guidelines out there for like wake windows and how much sleep your baby would be get, should be getting. But actually what research has shown is that it really does vary and it can vary up to a couple of hours each way. Some babies are going to need more sleep. Some babies are going to need less sleep. So just again, being responsive to your baby and is going to be super helpful. Um, an overtired baby will eventually just crash out, but it will take a long time and might lead to even more broken sleep. So ensure they're getting lots of sleep during the daytime as a newborn is really helpful. And again, if you're finding this hard, then, you know, contact naps, skin to skin, baby wearing. The majority of babies when put in a sling and taken for a walk will just fall asleep. And some people will be like, well, I've tried that and my baby hated the sling and some babies will hate the sling but more often than not there is a sling that your baby will like it may just be that you know you've been given one or you've bought a cheap one you've bought that one that you saw in the baby aisle in Aldi which is not ergonomic no shade to anyone who's done this um this is just you know it's in the middle aisle of Aldi why would we think that it's not an ergonomic baby carrier but it's not always it might be no shade to Aldi I know Aldi is great I'm just using that as an example because I know a few years ago I saw baby carriers in there and they were not great at all so maybe you know it's just not comfy for your baby and actually if you get yourself down to a sling library they can support you to find a sling that your baby will enjoy and you can carry them and they can rest right so things like that to support your baby's sleep during the day is going to help your baby sleep during the night and just resting alongside them i really hate the sleep when the baby sleeps thing i know everybody does this gets talked about all the time it's unrealistic to sleep always when the baby sleeps but if your baby is asleep at home next to you just rest with them just rest with them as much as possible and yeah getting enough sleep in the daytime is going to help people you know will often think oh i need to keep them awake i can't let them go have a nap at 6 p.m because then they won't sleep through the night as a newborn it really doesn't matter let them sleep when they need to sleep until they you know develop that circadian rhythm a lot further down the line. So an overstimulated baby's brain releases cortisol which is the stress hormone. So like I've just said try to keep things really low-key. Um, when baby's brain is releasing cortisol it makes it difficult to initiate sleep and to maintain that sleep. So as you start to wind down for the day try to keep things really calm and really quiet so for some, you know, this might be like a whole nighttime routine. For others, it might just be that you turn the lights down, you know, stick some candles on. Um, try and sort of create that difference between day and night to help babies to establish that circadian rhythm. So, you know, as it gets into the evening, maybe you all have a little bath and get into your pyjamas and the lights go on. 
and you play some relaxing music and the screens go off and you know you don't have to go straight to bed but maybe you just lay in bed yeah baby in skin to skin or you're all in your comfy pajamas and you cuddle up and you're reading or something like that try and do little things like that to really emphasize that it is night time now and that it is calm time now and that doesn't mean that your baby is all of a sudden going to be calm <laughs> like I'm not you know like I said at the beginning I'm a realist I understand that it's not a lot of babies do get overstimulated late at night or they do have cluster feeding and things like that but try and just make it easier by not doing loads of stuff in the evening to take yourself off to bed like if your baby's cluster feeding go and lay in bed and listen to a podcast and cluster feed them with the lights turned down low and try and just stay as calm as possible so those are my top tips my tips <laughs> I'm really sorry that I don't have a magical gadget a course a tool to sell you on this one um because they don't they don't exist in my opinion um like I said there are some great baby sleep experts out there that I do not want to dismiss you know baby sleep experts there are some amazing ones but the ones that are trying to sell you on sleep training and cry it out and all that other stuff yeah don't don't super trust them (laughs) um if you're in the thick of it in the hard bit i promise you it gets easier oh my god it gets easier like i said i've had a good in quotation mark sleeper i've had a really really bad (laughs) sleeper um and there were days where i didn't think i would be able to get through the day because i was so tired but yeah just dropping demands riding it out I promise you it gets easier you know like I said she still wakes up in the night now but it's fine it's fine we we get on with it (laughs) so this episode's been a little bit all over the place we've touched on a lot of different topics um and I promise you there's more to come on this topic more to come on co-sleeping more to come on cry out a lot more to come on attachment parenting so if you're interested in that please do message me because it's something yeah that I'm passionate about and that I've weaved into every single area of our sort of parenting lives so far um so yeah I hope this has been a helpful overview of you know supporting your baby sleep and what to expect um yeah like I said it's not going to be for everybody but I really hope that it's landed in the way that I intended I hope it's been helpful I hope it's been interesting and given you some things to think about and reflect on that hopefully helps you when moving through the postpartum period that concludes this episode if you'd like to discuss any aspect of your pregnancy birth or postpartum in more detail including this one then booking for a power hour with me it's a one-off hour session to get clarity on your circumstances for just £50. I'll pop the info in the show notes. And remember whilst you're there to sign up for my free taster session too, which is coming up really soon. If you have any more questions, come hang out on Instagram or TikTok where I'm at the Dungaree Doula. And please let me know if you enjoyed this episode. Do be sure to check out the show notes for all the links I mentioned too. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please do stick around, like, follow and subscribe or leave a little review if you don't mind. It's so very helpful. Speak soon. See you next week. Bye.